This episode is brought to you by Cowgirls Over Coffee, a community connecting Western women who want to do all the things over hot mugs of candid conversation and ruthless encouragement. You can learn more at cowgirlsovercoffee.com or connect with them on Instagram at cowgirlsovercoffee. all and welcome. You're listening to the Cowgirl Confessions podcast. I'm your host, Dakota Dawn Johnson, small town cowgirl with Southern roots, blazing a trail as a Midwest ranch wife, mama, and businesswoman. The mission of Cowgirl Confessions is to share the wonderfully wild and Western life stories of cowgirls from all walks of life. We'll talk about the highs, the lows, and everything in between when it comes to navigating careers, cowboys, kids, and cattle. Legendary cowgirl Dell Evans said it best, Cowgirl is a pioneer spirit, a special brand of American courage. The cowgirl faces life head on, lives by her own lights, and makes no excuses. Cowgirls take stands, they speak up, they defend the things they hold dear. A cowgirl might be a rancher, a barrel racer, a bull rider, or an actress, but she's just as likely to be a checker at the local Winn-Dixie a full-time mother, a banker, an attorney, or an astronaut. If you're into wet saddle blankets, talks with God, buckets full of laughter, and the life lessons learned in the process, kick off your boots and settle in. I pray these stories encourage, empower, and give you just the leg up you need. Here's to embracing the cowgirl state of mind, no matter how wild and western life may get along the way. Wow, it is surreal to say this out loud, but here we are celebrating the 50th episode of the Cowgirl Confessions podcast. Thank you for joining me, friend. To be honest, I thought that I'd record and share this podcast a lot sooner. It's taken longer to get here than I expected, but at the same time, it feels like it is right on time. I want to thank each and every one of you that have tuned in, as well as the guests that have chosen to spend their time and share their stories. I am so inspired and just encouraged and look forward to the next 50 episodes of the Cowgirl Confessions podcast, as well as what else is to come. But I want to take it back today, take it back to the first time I remember thinking as a, as a young girl, man, that sounds like the cowgirl state of mind. So here we go. I was in Montgomery, Alabama at the Alabama Junior Rodeo State Finals, taking place at W.O. Crawford Arena. And my mama said to me, life is too short for undependable horses, trucks, and men. Y'all, I was 11 years old, and I remember this so vividly. My barn fly shirt, 20X jeans, and hair were caked in mud. The only part of my face that was even somewhat clean were the streaks from the tears. I was so embarrassed because I had just got bucked off in the goat time at my very first state finals. Now, I was back at the barn, and as my mama checked me over, and, you know, was we were making a plan, and she was sharing her words of wisdom, she said, life's too short for undependable horses, trucks, and men, Dakota. And I should back up for a minute and say that the horse that bucked me off, um, it was this beautiful AQHA gelding, just so, so beautiful. But he was one of those that like so unpredictable as well. Like he'd just break into with no warning, 
didn't matter what you'd done, he'd just break in two. And so um, my dad had actually traded a gentleman for this horse straight across for a, my dad had a rainbow vacuum cleaner. He'd gotten in a trade and the gentleman that owned this horse, he specialized in um, walking horses and gated horses and didn't really need this quarter horse. And so uh, my dad and him traded straight across that guy's wife was super happy. She got a new vacuum cleaner. You know, I was happy cause I got this new horse um, that I thought was going to be a great fit, but turns out he wasn't. So uh, anyway, I just remember thinking when my mom said that as we were like, hey, we're about to cut this horse loose. We're going to find something else that is dependable. I remember thinking, man, that's some cowgirl state of mind right there. And now somewhere in between that moment and, you know, when this podcast started, I became keenly aware that the difference embracing the cowgirl state of mind had made in, in my life, both in and out of the arena. And just sharing that concept with everyone I come in contact with, it's just taken a hold of my heart and, and I've been called to action. You know, growing up, I was fortunate enough not to just have a cowgirl from a mama, but also to be surrounded by her cowgirl friends. And these were women from all walks of life. However, they shared one one real common bond, and that was their love for, for horses and the Western way of life. And that's what connected us. And you know, her friends, they were, you know, everything from doctors, school teachers, accountants, waitresses, professional rodeo athletes, secretaries, church leaders, Tupperware ladies, you know, like a little bit of everything. But they were all really strong, confident and caring women. And they were built in role models and mentors for me that were always willing to lend a hand, a horse, their time or knowledge. And over the years, as I, you know, watched these women walk out, you know, in their purpose and, and live their lives, I realized that these different cowgirls, along with my mama, they navigated all the responsibilities surrounding careers, cowboys, kids and cattle, and still somehow amidst all of that, set aside pockets of time to pursue their personal goals. And they really, you know, without meaning to, I guess, in some ways, they helped instill the idea in me that, you know, I could do anything I set my mind to because I was watching all these different women face different challenges, have different victories, and just figure it out and have this cowgirl state of mind and all that they did. So when I would come across a challenge or something, I'd think, well, I, I watched Miss Nelda do this, or I watched Miss Barbara do that, or Miss Tony did this. And I know that if they could do it and they did this, then I can do it, you know, along with watching my mom. So um, as life went on, though, I came to realize that not everyone had the gift of being in proximity to and, and learning from these types of incredibly dynamic women who embrace the cowgirl state of mind. So the more I thought about it, women with that much hard-earned knowledge and life experience that are willing to share it, they shouldn't be a best-kept secret. So I wasn't sure exactly how I'd go about it, but I knew I, I wanted to be a solve. I wanted to share their stories. I wanted to make these cowgirls, their state of mind, and what they had to share available to anyone who desired to listen and learn and do it in a way that they could be shared for years to come. Q 
Cue, the Cowgirl Confessions podcast was born, and what a ride it has been. Wonderfully wild and Western, you know, fitting it in between um, all the moments of motherhood and navigating myself, a career, a cowboy husband. I've got two cow kids and we've got horses and cows and, you know, all the things. And I've just realized that, you know, a cowgirl state of mind, that's something that our world needs more of. And I'm just grateful to and humbled, truly, to be a tool um, and getting to share these stories of incredible women along the way. So in this episode, I'm going to share snippets from our top five episodes. And I just want to encourage you to uh, to reach out to the to the women that you've heard on these podcasts and um, let them know. Let them know if their story has made a difference in your life. Let them know if it changed your way of thinking or encouraged you to step out, to quit sitting on the fence. Um, each and every one of our guests has just been absolutely fabulous. And I'm looking forward to the next 50 episodes. All right, y'all, let's kick off this celebration of the cowgirl state of mind, taking it back to episode number 38, featuring Laura Benson, knowing and owning who you are with authenticity. I would love to hear just kind of where that entrepreneur spirit came from, you know, grassroots, kind of from your childhood, and then what really catapulted you into, you know, starting your boutique business? Yeah. Um, so I grew up on a dairy farm. Um, my parents moved there when I was four. I don't really remember. They were always in, in agriculture and, um, we moved to the dairy that we lived at my, my entire life when I was four. Um, and my, we were very poor. Um, and we didn't know better, you know, we loved our life growing up, but we worked like, I feel like now people would maybe consider that child labor. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we loved it. We were with our parents all the time. I had three over, older siblings. I was the youngest by six years. So I was the baby. And, um, but we worked. I mean, when I was probably, when I was eight, I was taught to drive a skid loader. <laughs> when I was nine, I was probably caring for 50 to 100 calves, solely probably my responsibility. Like my mom would come with us and kind of oversee, but she would be doing other stuff. It was kind of a survival, you know, and we didn't know any, anything else. Um, we loved our life. And I, I knew when I went to school that other kids did sports and that kind of stuff. And we didn't, but we just, I don't know. It was just kind of how we were raised. And when you, when you're raised on a dairy farm, um, as most of you know, the work never stops. So it's a constant before school, we did chores after school, we did chores. Um, and that was always the priority. We had to take care of our animals before everything else. Um, right or wrong. My parents did the best they could. And that involved us doing a lot of chores with them. And it was, it was awesome. Looking back, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, but it definitely instilled an incredible work ethic in me that is, that showed me that you can look at work as something you have to do, or you can find something that you love to do and build something. And it's not work. It's part of your lifestyle. One of my biggest goals is I want to transition and teach that to my children. Um, because it's, it's lacking nowadays, in my opinion. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not saying you should wear hustle mentality, like a badge of honor, but I'm saying, um, I'm proud of the work ethic that I have. And I know what it takes to get something done. Um, and I want my children to be able to do that as well. So, um, one of the biggest questions I'm kind of going off topic, but one of the biggest questions I get is how you balance children and work. And I, I don't think that's, I think that's like a magical unicorn. I don't think that exists. I think you have to live in seasons. So, 
Um, there was a season when we were scaling my business, we were building a new warehouse. And I mean, my, my time with my children was less than I wish it would have been. Uh, but it has also gotten me to this point where now I have the ability to spend a lot more time with my children. Um, and I hope I'll be able to teach them some of the things that I learned. So I think you have seasons of life versus just trying to smash it all together. I don't, that's not possible. Um, so, but that being said, I think from an early age, our parents taught us really hard work ethic. And um, probably when I was a, t a teenager, um, I think just seeing my parents struggle um, and that was probably their biggest fight uh, in marriage was money. And I just was a very stubborn, prideful, I never need a man kind of woman <laughs> when I was younger. And um, I don't feel that way anymore. I definitely need my husband. Um, but uh, I just kind of had this vow in my head of like, I'm going to make enough money when I grow up that I don't ever have to have a man. <laughs> probably not a great, probably not a great mentality, but, and I think it stemmed more from, I don't want to struggle like this in my, like, I really, I, I saw it in how it affected my mom and the stress and the burden of it. And I just knew like my, the, I wanted the financial freedom. I'm not a, I don't live very extravagantly. I don't care about fancy things really. I just wanted to have financial freedom. I think that was probably instilled in me without them realizing it. Um, and then early on, I was, my dad is an entrepreneur. Um, I'm an entrepreneur before it was cool, to be honest. Um, I don't, I didn't know what it was, you know, at the time, but looking back, I always was trying to, I always had crazy ideas in my head of what can I try and do this and try and, you know, even when I was younger. So um, that was always there. It still is. I don't think you can get rid of it when you're wired that way. Um, it's, it's a blessing and a curse sometimes because it leads you down, you know, shiny syndrome, <laughs> syndrome path, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I'm learning as I get older to kind of, you know, think on things before I just act. Next up, you'll hear from professional breakaway roper Sawyer Gilbert on episode number 37, keeping a winning mentality while facing adversity. When we recorded this episode, she had just come off of a big win at Cheyenne Frontier Days. Had a huge win at Cheyenne Frontier Days this year, but you are no stranger to the winner circle. Um, I mean, at, at 19 years old, you have collected some big paychecks at some really well-known ropings um, already. And um, let's talk a little bit more about that and maybe where, you know, that that first, you know, what you would consider your first big win, you know, when that happened and, um, and just how you, how you just keep your mental game strong as you enter into each new opportunity. Oh, it's, it's definitely a learning curve on how I keep my mental game strong. It's a daily struggle every day. Um, I, uh, I would say that like my very first big win would probably be when I was a eighth grader um, in junior high, uh, we went to the national finals for the, it was part of the high school association, the junior high association. We went to Lebanon, Tennessee, and I won the breakaway roping. Um, and, and it was kind of, it was the first time I'd ever been to nationals. Um, first time I'd ever been to Tennessee or that far East. Um, and, and I, I ended up winning it on my, on my pain horse that I still ride. And so I think that was kind of the first, um, that was the first win at a, at like a national stage. And it was, it was a pretty special moment. Um, but I know that, I know that if you ask like anybody that was around me growing up, they'd always say that the, the year before that, 
my seventh grade year, I missed going to nationals by one point. I think that was a kind of the point in my life where I decided I was sick of losing and I was done, you know, just being average. And we were willing, I was kind of what changed my mind. I was willing to put in the work after that to be successful. And so that was, I think, I think the summer of my seventh grade year going into my eighth grade year was kind of the summer that, you know, it can't, I kind of came to terms with, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to, second is not going to be an option so um I that was kind of the thing that I try to remember when I'm you know having a bad day or something with my mental game is that it's I decided I pick this and losing is not an option like this is what this is what I do this is what I love to do I just need to stay focused to keep doing it I love that and I love how um you know I think it's easy for all of us at some point or another to think, well, maybe, maybe I'm that person's too young to pick a direction yet, or maybe that person, you know, I'm not sure if they're really committed yet or not. And I love how you, you know, just shared that, that, I mean, seventh grade, you know, a pivotal point and getting you to where you are today and um, just your mindset, just deciding like, okay, it was, it was that loss that catapulted you um, not a loss because obviously you were still doing awesome just to miss going to nationals by one point. Um, but like you weren't where you wanted to be and you decided right then and there, um, like you weren't going to tolerate that. And that, so it just kind of gives me goosebumps thinking about it. Cause that's a winner's mentality. Um, and you, you definitely have that. And, um, you know, just, I was, you know, reading some articles and everything and, watching at Cheyenne and I noticed that you know you were on two different horses and so it's it's tough enough set up there at Cheyenne um when you're riding the same thing um you know on your runs but you you had a horse change in the middle of it and if you can share with us more just kind of the 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 details what it felt like you know backing in the box there and and swapping horses and um and then what it felt like to to hear your name called there at the end it was it was a little, I was a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. It was, um, we showed up, I showed up the day before for Slack and I had my good Hollywood mare that I had rode all summer at the pro rodeos. She was doing awesome. I, I mean, that was her kind of setup. Like I, that was the same horse that I was one six or one four, sorry, at Northside on two different times. I mean, like she, I, I can be fast on her, but she's so, she's so easy to rope on way down there. And so I was really excited to ride her. And, um, I didn't really, I didn't really think about, you know, like the whole daddy of them all roping because I knew, I knew for a fact I mean, that I would come to me eventually. And I knew people were going to talk about it, that they were going to get wound up because this was Cheyenne. And so I didn't even go and look at the arena. I didn't even walk over to the arena. I just took care of my horses and like hung out at the stalls. I, I didn't want to look at it. And then slack started really early, like seven o'clock in the morning and we were in the first section. And so I think I roped about eight 30 in the morning in slack. And so I didn't, I mean, it was early enough that I didn't really have time to get nervous for it, which was probably a good thing because I probably would have. Um, and uh, it was when I backed in there and I, I kind of was like, Oh man, uh, this, this is a big arena. <laughs> and, uh, 
<laughs> but everything everything was good I just made sure that I I saw my start and and I I, I mean I was kind of my game plan going into it is I just wanted to I wanted to be safe at the barrier I wanted to be behind the barrier and then I wanted to rope my calf at the first shot because um, especially when you get down there you know you're trying to make up time with your rope and reach and stuff but at, when you're that far down there you can take an extra swing and just get them caught and so that was my whole that was my whole plan is I just wanted to take the first shot that I had and I rode my sawmill for the slack run and that calf ran left and when she came across the line she switched leads and hit herself really bad and ended up um getting bone chips in her splint bone and so right after that um at, right after we roped the days of 47 in salt lake city was going on for the wcra and we my traveling partner and myself would both tra- uh, qualify for it and so we we're going to take my rig over there and so right after we get done we're unsaddling horses and trying to get everything taken care of because we kind of got to go and she was she was fine like i always laugh that i always make fun of her for being such a baby but she she's really tough and I wish she would have been a little less tough that day because she uh she was at she was fine she stood there for like 30 minutes while I'm packing all this stuff and she just stood there and walked around fine I loaded her in the trailer and she's nickering for her buddy and 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 then we loaded my traveling partner's horse and we took off and when we got to Salt Lake about a seven hours later uh <laughs> she was she was three-legged and so that was it was a little bit, that was probably the toughest time because it wasn't even that it was about Cheyenne. It was like my good horse is now three-legged and I am, you know, seven hours away from the only other horse that I have. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of, it took, it, it was about an hour before the rope and started that I was a little, a little frazzled. And, and I was lucky enough that my traveling partner, Jordan Joe Fabrizio, let me ride her horse and whatever, but it was, it was a good I guess it was a good lesson learned that if you have an extra horse, you should probably keep the extra horse in the trailer, even if you plan on don't ride them, because stuff like that happens. We are rocking and rolling right along to episode number 43, featuring Thea Larson, your hype girl with an actual plan. Thea is also the founder of Cowgirls Over Coffee, a community that I am so proud to be a part of. So important that you be able to do a couple of things effectively, I feel like, and and this is what I see in you um, and that you're able to do with our community. And while I really connect with you is that, you know, you've got the, you've got the strategies, you, you've got a plan to actually help us, um, but you know how to connect with people. You have the people skills to get people like, hey, like I she's talking to me, like, I want to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. And so, so often what I find, if you have a really great skill set or an idea, but you don't have the ability to get other people to believe in it or get Mm -hmm. behind it, then it's not going to go anywhere. And, and that's what I just, I really admire about you is because it, you bring it all together. And, um, I just think our world needs more of that, like a whole lot more of it. Well, thank you. That's like ridiculously flattering. Thank you. Um, I, I think too, like, um, I think like when I, when I think about like, you know, you do a lot of work when you're trying to plan your band, because there's absolutely strategy behind everything I'm doing with my business with cowgirls over coffee, because yes, I a thousand percent want to see every, I want to see every single woman succeed, but I want to see my business succeed too. So I a hundred percent have a strategy behind what I'm doing. And, um, I really think that my two 
my two gifts, like my gifts from God are the ability to get people headed in a common direction on a common goal and get people to buy in. Um, and that really served me when I was an event coordinator. I mean, especially, you know, the people that you hire during fair time to like for event production, I can get those guys, you know, on board, hyped up and, and working right alongside me to make things happen. Like whether I remember one time we had a concert, we had a last minute, um, I guess, seating change, you know, for the concert. And we were like short chairs and I knew we could go get chairs. And this is a 200. I don't know if you've ever been to Expo New Mexico in Albuquerque is 236 acres of the fairgrounds there. So we ran from one end of the, the fairgrounds to another end, loaded up chairs, put them all in before, you know, from the time that doors opened on the Coliseum to the time that the band took the stage, like, and people could do that. And then the other side of that is that I love, I just really love, um, uh, the business and I love strategy and coming together. So I think putting those two things together of really having a, a strong strategy and then just really liking to see people work together. I've always really loved that. It has just been, it's kind of culminated with the cowgirls over coffee thing. And this cowgirls over coffee, you know, membership that you've created, you people, the women in this group get it because they are wired in this ambitious way. And so sometimes I feel like when you do have that ambitious spirit about you and you're working a full-time job and you're a mom and a wife, and then you're wanting to build a side gig or you've got, sometimes people look at you and they're like, cause that they're not wired that way. And they don't mm -hmm. mean anything <laughs> by it. They don't mean anything by it, but they unknowingly like question your sanity and, and how mm -hmm. you're doing it all. And I don't, that's one thing in this group that I'm like, these women get it. And so that's not even part of the conversation. It's not, why are you doing it? It's how, yes. how can we help each other do this more efficiently and effectively? And, and I love that. Yes, I agree so much. Like it's not, it's not better or worse. Either one is just as good. It's just different. And I love how you said that. Yeah, there's, that's not even part of the conversation because I know when I have something, you know, even if it's just a project, even if it's not necessarily making money, if I have that thing I'm working on, I show up better in my life for my kids and my husband, because I have this like sense of identity and a sense of purpose. And I really lost that for a while when I first moved out here. And when I first had my first child, like I was like, I mean, I was completely off course and completely untethered and it was, you know, just not a good place to be. So I really, um, coming back to having, uh, I don't even know if I want to say goals, but just really coming back into my center of what my purpose is and how I can help not only myself and my family but also the world oh my gosh it's made it has made a, like a complete 180 difference for me in the last I'd say three years and and I think it's hard a lot of times no matter what stage you're in is you know a woman it's it's like do I spend the money do I invest in myself this way and I'm just gonna mm -hmm. share with everybody you know that the membership is not open again yet it's closed right now and Theo will share more with us you know on what we can expect after the first of the year but I, I had to get it in my mind. I was like, okay, how am I, how am I going to swing this, spend the money on myself to do this? And it's like, all right, I'm not getting, I'm, I'm going to start, you know, painting my own toes and doing an at-home here <laughs> because that's essentially, that's, that's, that's kind of where it's at, you know, I mean, a, a trade-off and it, you know what, it's been worth it. I, I can paint my own toenails. So um, that, I, I think if that's something that's holding you back um, from taking action, whether it's, you know, for cowgirls over coffee or something else that you're considering, if you're listening to this, like 
just think about the trade-off. What's something that you could give up for a little bit just to put your foot in the door and try this and then see like, okay, is it worth it? Is it not? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so funny because like I said earlier, like I have such a hard time with monetization and I'm like, it is not lost on me that it's an investment. I am so, I'm just so thankful for there's about 170 women in the membership right now that have like just put in with me and helped me um, get the get the experience right but it's just not lost on me that it's an investment and so as a businesswoman too i'm thinking about um what are the things you don't cancel like what are we all have subscriptions in our life i mean gosh now our life is very subscription based even you know our tv or our netflix or um you know my vitamins come via subscription Amazon. and i think <laughs> yeah right i'm like what are the things that i wouldn't cancel when i get down to my budget and i'm like okay what would what i cancel and how can i make cowgirls over coffee be like so beneficial to your life that you'd feel like you, you wouldn't want to cancel because the benefit you're getting is definitely like, I would rather, I would choose cowgirls over coffee over having my toes done professionally, you know? Yeah. And so, and that means so much to me, like, thank you. Thank you yeah. for painting your own toenails so <laughs> that you can be a part of the cowgirls over coffee community. <laughs> I truly admire this next guest and all that she brings to the Western industry. This is episode number 42, Owning Your Uniqueness with Rodeo Quincy. Yeah, so let me start with, first of all, as a little kid growing up, I uh, school was always like pretty tough for me. I had to work, it seemed like, twice as hard as any of the other kids. Um, but I finally found my niche, and that was with sports, uh, running, and rodeo, and art. I always was like super creative. My science project probably didn't win the science fair, but it dang sure was like the one that was a head turner and everybody like went to go look at it. <laughs> and uh, at the time, I always remember being like so worried about what I was going to be, you know, when I grew up, I thought I had to be like a doctor or a lawyer to be successful. And it never dawned on me that you can kind of find what your strengths are and stick to that and follow what you're passionate about and turn that into a career. And so I was so fortunate um, pretty much because I had amazing doors open, open for me and I walked through those doors and they just led to one opportunity after another. And so uh, when I was in high school, that's really when my love for high school rodeo sprung about and loved everything about it. I uh, was taking art classes and loved art, found out that I could draw and I was drawing these things. I remember I was bringing them home and my mom was like, who did this for you? Like, did you cheat? <laughs> and I was like, no, that, that's what I did, you know? And I kind of threw around the idea to my parents, like, maybe I'll go to Bidham to design school or, and my parents were kind of like, no, no, you better, you know, you know, do something a little bit more solid. And um, I had dreams of going to Cal Poly, so I just applied to Cal Poly. Um, I got in under ag communications, and I didn't really know what I was going to do, you know, my career. I was excited to be on the rodeo team there, and so that's sort of where I was at. Well, then the most amazing opportunity happened. I was actually competing at the National High School Finals Rodeo my senior year, in Farmington, New Mexico, and I was spotted by Ariet, who, you know, Ariet, that's how Dakota and I know each other. <laughs> yeah, and long story short, trying not to drag it out too long, but 
I was given the opportunity to design for them. Um, I had been hand painting my own horse pack and it was very bright and loud. I was putting Swarovski crystals on it and it was really gaining a lot of attention because at the time the Western tack and wear was, you know, pretty neutral and my stuff just stood out. And anyways, I had the opportunity to go to the area headquarters, meet with them. I had no idea area was based out of California. That's where I was from, grew up. And they offered me this once in a lifetime opportunity to design a line for them. They thought it would be so neat because I was that customer, that consumer that they were targeting. And they thought we'll give her an opportunity to design her own line. And so I'm in there 18 years old. They're asking me if I can design boots. And I'm like, yeah, I can design boots. Sure. I'd worn them my whole life, you know, but I, I didn't really know um, how. But I'm so, so grateful for that opportunity because, you know, they taught me. I went on um, starting to start. I was drawing on paper, like hand-drawn designs. And then their um, artists were going ahead and putting those into CADs and using Adobe Illustrator. So this went on for a few years with Aria. I was fortunate enough to design a few lines for them. I was able to do some clothing as well. Um, while in college, I was still majoring in ag communication, so nothing really to do with design. But I went over to the junior college and I took some design courses in Adobe Illustrator and started teaching myself how to, to do the design. And it really was like about at this time, I fell in love with the industry um, that Ariat showed me. And that was like that Western world of fashion. It was like all of my passions came together and I realized, um, you know, how awesome it was because it was still had to do with rodeo, the Western lifestyle that I had grown up living. But also I had this passion for passion and clothing also. So it was just like, the most exciting time. And I was so fortunate to, um, to be in that position. I'm wondering, Quincy, like what advice can you share with us on just being bold and like owning that uniqueness because you were young, you know, you said you were 18 years old exactly. in a corporate setting, but you had something in you that, that gave you that, <laughs> that courage, that like cowgirl state of mind, if you will, to be like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to rise to this occasion. I'm going to do this. So tell us about that. Exactly. I think it's all just part of, and I stress this so much to younger kids that, you know, ask for my advice is like walk through every door of opportunity you can, especially at that age, you know, even if it doesn't work out, it's so important to say yes, even if you're nervous or you're afraid. And honestly, I have to credit that to my mother. She was always my biggest driving force. She gave me the confidence to walk into that room, you know, wearing those clothes that might have uh, stuck out. For instance, I actually used to go to private school and every chance I would get to be different, I would wear like a big red rose in my hair or I would wear crazy socks. And I remember the kids kind of teasing me because I always had this like different type of fashion. But my mother, she was always that way and what she wore and what she did. And she kind of had that, you know, philosophy, um, you know, be a rose in a field full of sunflowers. And she encouraged me to be that way. And because of that, I was able to walk into that area corporate office, you know, with all of these, you know, um, amazing, successful business women dressed in my flashy hand painted tack and 
uh, belts and stuff and say, heck, yeah, I'd love to design a line for you. So it's important to just stay true to who you are, to have thick skin and not care what other people think. So. Every once in a while, you'll meet somebody, and before you ever exchange words or even a handshake, you'll know that person knows Jesus. And that, my friends, is how I felt the first time I met this cowgirl, featured in episode 40, casting your nets with freelance auctioneer and Airbnb ranch owner, Joni Nash. You know, I, I learned, I had a guy tell me this one time, he said, God gives you things, but you got to ask him how he wants you to use them. You know, so for so many years, he showed me that that I was only to use this as supplemental and, and not pursue it in a full time. So I've been very cognizant of that. But um, anyway, it's been good to me. And, you know, a lot of times we don't have those, most of us don't have like a checkbook that we can go write, you know, a six figure check to an organization that we believe in. But the auctioneering is intrinsically rewarding to me because I can't do that. But because of my skill and the gift that God has given me, I can help an organization get there. And so after in college, I did everything I did. Uh, I didn't turn anything down. I did livestock. I did heavy equipment. I did um, whatever I was hired to do. And then now over the years, I've honed in to um, the gala type ballroom auctions, not uh, nonprofit uh, benefit. And the two companies I work for, that's their specialty. And then that's what I do on my freelance stuff. So um, it's a different type of auctions. Um, the chance a little slower, your buyers aren't I call professional buyers, you know, like when you go to what, like a car auction or something, those guys are there every week. That's their job. When you go to a nonprofit gala auction, you know, you have a lady that may never have been at an auction before and she's trying to bid against herself, you know, so it's a completely different and you have to be entertaining and all that. So it's a different deal. But for me, it's um, kind of turned into my niche. So that is how I got into the auction business. (laughs) You 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 nailed it because I the first time I ever saw you you were auctioneering for um Miss Miss Rodeo Oklahoma organization and I thought I don't know this woman but I'm gonna know her before tonight's over because you just um like you said you you were entertaining you made it fun and and I knew before I ever knew that you weren't from Oklahoma um I was like this girl has got to be from the south somewhere because growing up down here (laughs) you can just spot it. I mean, you just kind of know some like, and, and I was like, the writing is on the wall. We, we should be best friends. Um, yes. So I yes. agree. <laughs> I agree. And now I've, I've lost a lot of my accent, but I still get asked because I know this because I used to get asked every day. And ever since I've lived up in Northern Oklahoma, it's changed a lot, um, which is fine. You know, I guess I don't need as many subtitles sometimes when I travel places, but uh, but yeah, so I still got it. I don't want to lose it because it's my heritage and my, you know, upbringing. But at the same time, I know it's kind of morphed a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I still get that question. I mean, I've been in, I lived in Oklahoma for like six years and then I've been in Kansas for going on six years now. And, you know, I'll be like in Subway ordering something and they'll go, where are you from? And I'll say Kansas. <laughs> and they're like, no, where are you from? Mm-hmm. I'm like, don't you know, Alabama. So. <laughs> I know, and you hate to ask, like when people ask me that, and Dakota, you can totally relate to this. When people ask me that, I'm like, okay, are you, is it conversation, or do you want to know why I talk like I do? And I exactly. just say that. I'm like, okay, why? Do you, are you asking because I talk funny? Because 
you know, so, but there's, you know, you just want to know why people ask if you, if you know why they're asking, you can answer their question, you know? Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. So I, I want to dig a little deeper on that one because you, um, on that question from before, because we were visiting before we started, I should have pushed record, you know, 30 minutes ago, because so much good (laughs) came out of that too. But, um, we were talking about your mom and when she gave you just excellent advice one time when you basically called her being like, mom, what, what advice do you have for me? Like, what what am I supposed to do? Yeah, I called her crying. I called her crying. (laughs) That's what I did. No, I was, I remember that I was like 23 years old and, um, my last year of college, I went part-time because I, again, I hadn't taken out any loans and I was so close to graduating, but I needed, you know, the extra money. So I went part-time and stretched it out longer, which was fine, you know, and I was working for a guy and he, I was in this old house and to describe it, y'all think I'm making this up, but this house had been locked up for like, I don't know, 20, 30 years. Like it was just a time capsule. And they just left me. They went to another house to clean up or something. And we were supposed to do a sale there that night and, or the next day or something. And they left me to box stuff and do what you would normally do in like the most horrible, horrendous state sale type thing. (laughs) Well, I paid dues, man. I paid dues. But um, anyway, uh, I remember this. Can you imagine going into a house like 24 years old? It is hot. There is no air. It is like heat of all you know uh Oklahoma heat and you can imagine like the critters that are in this house that have just like taken up there and I just left with this like overwhelming task and I call mama crying and I was like what 23 year old college girl is locked up in a house it's been locked up for 20 years doing this real rat poop you know and she just was like Tony you know what, you're not going to be in this position forever. And it's providing you to be able to do what you wanted to do, to do what, you know, God's called you to do. You're not going to be in that house forever. You're not even going to be doing that type of work forever. But when you get this done, you can look back and say, I've done that. And nobody can take this from you. So pay your dues, do the test that's been in front of you. You're not above any job. That's a big one. And, um, and do it. And like, I, I was like, okay, I'm gonna dry my eyes. I'm going down to Wendy's and get me a hamburger and I'm gonna come back here and I'm gonna work like this is the best job I've ever done. And she jerked the knot in my tail in every way. And it like, it was like Popeye's spinach kind of thing. You know, like (laughs) I was like, I got this, you know? And so I turned that job in and I never, I just, it was, I was so thankful for her to speak truth into me in that moment because that's a big thing. It's like, we're not above any job. And that's where I learned you've got to do the things that nobody else wants to do. You know, had I not like, you know, I could have walked away from that or never gone back to that job once I finished, you know, but it was, I know that that was just as important as getting to sell that $5,000 pair of custom boots to Jewel or whatever it was. You know, it's like, if God can trust you with the little, then he can trust you with the much. And you have to show yourself faithful in, in all things, you know? And so to me, that was a, a pivotal, um, day for me, um, professionally, but even personally, and, um, God used that nasty old house to, you know, like I said, that sticks out to me that day. And just what my mama spoke into my life. And, um, I've taken that with me and that was 20 years ago, you know, or 17, 17 years ago.
this episode as much as I enjoyed putting it together. It was like a stroll down memory lane as I looked back at all of the previous episodes and really thought about how far this podcast has come since the very beginning. And this podcast wouldn't be anywhere without listeners like you and the incredible women that have chosen to take the time and share their stories. So I want to take a moment to thank each and every one of them. And also, if you aren't sure who might have been on the podcast yet, um, here's a quick list that you can think about and go find their episode. Thank you, Jenna Smeek, Missy Bonds, Brooke Wallace, the cowgirl mother and daughter duo, Marilyn Delmer and Lindsay Keller, Britton Wallace, Camille Burleson, Jocelyn Reeves, Courtney Dehall, Shane Holman, Chelsea Abernathy, Abigail Benz, Wendy Latin, Jesse Jarvis, Nikki Callison, Sarah Neal, Nelda Hicks, Danny Lowe, Kenzie Ashcraft, Leanne Hart, Brianna Bigby, Rachel Boyd, and Julie Miller, Pedra Parkman, Beth Cross, Katie Chisholm, Trisha Shields, Sadie Lynn King, Tatum Lee, Casey Holton and Sawyer Gilbert, Laura Benson, Faith Andrews, Joni Nash, Ayla Johnson, Quincy Freeman Eldridge, Thea Larson, Taylor Steele, Kathy Vaughn, Caitlin Havelka, and Bailey Nargain. Thank you ladies so much for joining the Cowgirl Confessions podcast to share your stories. I pray that they continue to make a difference for years to come, just as I know you are. Thank you for spending your time with me on the Cowgirl Confessions podcast. I'm so glad y'all stopped by. If you could take a moment to share this episode and tag us on social media, I'd be happier than a cowgirl and a sea of buy one, get one vintage turquoise. Subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode. New episodes will be released bi-monthly. Please leave us a review if you feel so led by going to iTunes. Your feedback will really help us breed the idea of grabbing life by the horns with a cowgirl state of mind into women across the globe. Some that may have never even had the privilege to throw their leg over a horse, but could most certainly use the cowgirl state of mind while navigating life. Thanks again, y'all. Until next time, keep pursuing your dreams with that all-go and no-woe mentality. Remember... You're writing a story that's worth saddling up for, sister.